Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. It is so often that we are told the importance of raising a family, having young and impressionable children who rely on you to keep them safe and protected is one of the most cherished experiences in this world. It is even better when you're able to bring those children to a brand new home and community that they can now call their own. Sadly, there are people out there who seek to make that experience quite literally a living hell. In today's episode of Still Unsolved, we look at the brutal massacre of a mother and her two daughters right after they achieved the American dream. Valerie Pride was at a great point in her life. The 24-year-old was in the final year of her four-year apprentice program with a reputable organization. She was also on the verge of becoming one of the first female electricians at the Palo Verde Power Plant in Maricopa County, Arizona. During the summer of 1982, the single mother purchased a new home in a quiet neighborhood of South Phoenix. With this move, Valerie was hoping to settle into a safe and quiet neighborhood to raise her two daughters. On September 6, 1982, Valerie and her daughters celebrated their first Labor Day in their new home. Unfortunately, something would happen that brought a dark cloud over the occasion. Earlier that afternoon, Valerie's boyfriend, Ben Daniels, got a phone call telling him that his nine-year-old daughter from a previous relationship had suffered an epileptic seizure. This happened while she was taking a bath and the young girl drowned. He had rushed to the hospital where she was taken, only to learn that doctors had been unable to save her life. Nine-year-old Zeta Daniels was pronounced dead that evening. Valerie would be there for him when she could, but she also had to bring her daughters home to get to bed. That is where the mysterious events begin. Shortly before 9.30 that night, Valerie called her brother, and was chatting with him when she heard a knock on her front door. Since Ben still hadn't returned home from the hospital, Valerie told her brother she needed to go see who was at the door. As the two hung up the phone, her brother had no idea that it would be the last time he ever spoke to his sister. Ben arrived home around 10 p.m. and found the front door to the house open. At the time, the area was in a heat wave, hitting 109 degrees. Keeping the front door open was not something Valerie would have done willingly. Ben would soon learn that there was a tragic reason for that door being open. When he went inside, he walked directly into a nightmare. Valerie's daughters, eight-year-old Shantia and four-year-old Duana, were huddled together in the living room, covered in blood. The young girls had been stabbed to death. 
The girls weren't the only ones to suffer such a tragic fate. Valerie was on the floor of the dining room, also stabbed multiple times. It appeared she had tried to make it to the back door, but had been attacked before she could reach it. Ben had trouble processing what he was seeing. All he could do was scream in horror. Neighbors would hear his cries and call the police. When investigators from the Phoenix Police Department arrived at the scene, they were horrified by the brutality of the triple murder. One detective had to step outside to take a moment away from the carnage. Shantia and Duana were found in their pajamas. It was clear that they were ready for bed when they were attacked. Detectives theorized that Valerie had been attacked almost immediately after she answered the knock at her front door. After the crime, the killer had likely escaped through the back door. This theory was supported by a bloody handprint on one of the wooden rails of the fence in the backyard. It was likely that the murderer had jumped the fence and made their exit. Residents were shocked by the crime. The neighborhood was made up of new Spanish-style homes and was normally very quiet. Valerie and her daughters had just moved into their house a few weeks earlier. Valerie was described as a hard-working single mother who was devoted to her two daughters. No one could imagine why anyone would have wanted her and her children dead. Police struggled to find a motive for the triple homicide. It also didn't help that media coverage of the murders contained conflicting reports across the different outlets. The investigators would have to give statements and hold press conferences to set the record straight. According to them, there were no signs of forced entry into the home and nothing appeared to have been stolen. The killer, or killers, had only one thing in mind that night, to commit a series of brutal murders. Detectives desperately wanted to find the person responsible for the brutal attack, but they soon exhausted all leads. They spoke to all the residents of the South Phoenix neighborhood, but were unable to find any who had seen anything unusual on the night of the murder. Due to the heat wave, most residents had been inside with their air conditioners on when the attack occurred. Those who lived closest to Valerie reported hearing some kind of commotion at around 9.45 p.m., but it hadn't been enough to alarm them. No one saw anyone enter or leave Valerie's home. Despite their best efforts, the investigation stalled. After six months, without progress, homicide detectives intensified their efforts. A handful of investigators were sent back to Valerie's neighborhood to conduct another canvas of the area. They re-interviewed neighbors and searched for any clues they might have missed during their initial investigation. Tips trickled in, but no solid leads were developed. As they spoke with neighbors, detectives continuously heard a troubling rumor. If you recall, Valerie's boyfriend Ben Daniels had to rush to the hospital that day after his daughter had drowned. Well, according to those rumors, Valerie and her daughters were killed out of revenge. But how could the two events possibly be related? Zeta Daniels' death had been ruled an accidental drowning. There was no foul play involved at all. 
Despite the confusion, the investigators had to follow up on the rumor due to its prevalence in the community. Zita lived with her mother, Gloria Freeman, in Phoenix. According to Gloria, she had been supervising Zita while she took a bath, but had momentarily walked away. It was believed that Zita then suffered from an epileptic seizure shortly after. When Gloria returned to the bathroom, Zita was underwater. She was rushed to the hospital, but there was nothing doctors could do to save her. After an autopsy was conducted, Zeta's death was ruled to be a tragic accident. The medical examiner determined that she had drowned and noted that the condition of her body was consistent with an epileptic seizure. It seemed unlikely that an accidental death could have precipitated a violent triple homicide, but investigators seemed to believe it was a possibility. Then, on August 18, 1983, 14-year-old Kevin Atkins was arrested outside Phoenix's Christown Mall. The investigators believed he was involved in the murder of the Pride family. He was released the following day, but police stressed that his release didn't mean he was no longer a suspect. The Maricopa County District Attorney's Office wanted more evidence before they were willing to prosecute Kevin. Investigators also announced that they were still seeking at least two other people they believe were connected to the crime. They believed that another juvenile and at least one other adult had participated in the murders. They theorized that this was all done as an act of revenge for the death of Zeta Daniels. It turns out that Gloria Freeman was the aunt of Kevin Atkins. Zeta was his cousin. Although detectives initially seemed confident that they had probable cause to charge Kevin with the crime, it was unclear if they had any physical evidence linking him to the murders. For that reason, charges were never filed against him. Although rumors continued to circulate suggesting that Zeta's family had been involved in the murder, these allegations were never substantiated and the case soon went cold. Investigators stated that it was possible the murders were somehow related to a burglary that had taken place at the Pride House in August 1982. Valerie had returned home one day to find that someone had broken into the house and slashed her waterbed mattress. The intruder then took all of Valerie's clothes and threw them into the flood of water that gushed out of the deflated mattress. It was unclear if detectives ever had any suspects or persons of interest in the burglary, but no charges were ever filed. Two years after the murder, investigators were called when a knife was found in the backyard of one of Valerie's neighbors. It was similar in size to the one believed to have been the murder weapon, which was promising. Detectives were hopeful that it might provide a clue to jumpstart the investigation. It was sent for analysis, but technicians were unable to determine if it was the knife used to commit the murders. Investigators firmly believed that the killer was someone who knew Valerie. They do not believe that this was a random crime. They are currently submitting evidence from the crime scene to be analyzed using advanced technology that wasn't available at the time of the murders. Blood from the fence and unidentified fingerprints found inside the home had already been analyzed in the past, 
but it was possible that they might be able to find something that was missed during the initial stages of the investigation. The murders of Valerie and her two daughters have now been unsolved for more than four decades. To this day, her family is still holding out hope that there will be answers found. Valerie's sister, Vicki McDonald, has stated that the family has never stopped seeking justice for Valerie, Shantia, and Dwana. Shantia and Dwana had been the center of Valerie's world. She had been doing everything she could to give them the best life possible, and they were all looking forward to a bright future when they moved into their new home in the summer of 1982. This was meant to be a joyous occasion a sign of new times and a step toward a bright and prosperous future. Their family must have been full of so many hopes and dreams. Sadly, those were stolen from them by a brutal killer.